a guten Arab Shabbos to our friends and members of the Westbound Shul. We are using a new format today. Instead of showing things on video, we're using an audio podcast. And with Hashem's help, we'll, our first try will be a successful one. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Re'eh. It is also Rosh Chodesh Elul. And on Sunday, we'll be getting blowing the shofar, getting ready for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, all the beautiful holidays. We know that Elul, the rabbis tell us, is an acronym for Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li. I am to my beloved, and my beloved is for me. So it's a time to focus on our relationship with Hashem, to focus on how much love we have for Hashem and to recognize the love that a Kurdish Barhul has for us. So we're reading Parshas Re'eh, and I want to share with you an interesting insight from the Chassam Sofer, which uh, brings into focus um, some issues here that seem to not be so much in the Elul theme. And one of the ideas is the idea of not listening to people who are either false prophets, people trying to uh, be a Macy's to uh, convince you to go away from Yiddishkeit or Mediach, a whole city that becomes idol worshippers. And in all three of those cases, it uses the same clause. For example, it says, if a false prophet comes and says, let us follow and worship another God. And then the Torah says, Asher lo yidatem, who you have not experienced, who you did not know. Or other people try to convince you to go away from Yiddishkeit and says to follow foreign gods, Asher lo yidata, that you did not know. Or a city that will worship gods, Asher lo yidatem, which you did not know. And the Chassam Sofer asks a very simple question. Why is it necessary to say that they're trying to convince you to worship idols that you do not know? What does it matter if you do not know or you do know the idol? If you know the idol, it's something foreign to our worship. And if you haven't known in the past, you didn't know it until now, but now you're aware of it, it is still taking you away from Yiddishkeit. So what should it be different of a Sherlo Yedatem? So the Chassam Sofer, as we know, was one of the great vigilant fighters against the uh, Enlightenment movement, who was trying, who made many very terrible changes to Yiddishkeit. And in this Parsha, he gives the following answer. He says, a lot of times, People make an oath, they make a promise that they'll do something. But when they make the oath or the promise, they make the oath based on the assumptions that the realities that exist are not necessarily going to change. And therefore, under the present conditions, I'm willing to go along with what I promised. But sometimes new situations arise that one never thought of. And he says, well, now that this new situation came into being, I don't know if I want to keep my promise. So here's what the Chassam Sofer says. When the Jewish people accepted the Torah and the mitzvahs, and we accepted in the second commandment not to worship any idols, 
you know, so perhaps their promise was based on what they knew about idols at the time. So, yes, we're going to give up all these other idols for Hashem. They knew about the idols of Egypt and different idols that they had experiences with. And they realized that Hashem, compared to those idols, is, you know, the idols are nothing. So therefore, we are going to keep our promise and not worship idols because they knew what the idols were about and therefore, and they understood that the Torah and Hashem is greater than that. Interesting, in halacha as well, when a person makes a business deal on a certain condition and if the condition, um, you know, doesn't happen, uh, then they'll go through with their promise or whatever. What and what if, uh, and that would include even things they weren't necessarily expecting, they still have to keep their word. But in halach, if something totally unexpected doesn't uh, happens, like something, person says, you know, I'll, 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 I'll do this business deal provided I can make it back in time to this area. Now, a guy knows there's going to be rain and things like that, and he can't say, well, I came late, I don't have to do it, it was beyond my control, because people know those are reasonable things that can create challenges. But what if it was an earthquake or something like that? It says, well, I never made the promise with an earthquake, but I mean, since when do you get earthquakes? So the similar idea here is that when the Jewish people said, you know, we're, we believe in Hashem, we're going to have a good relationship with Hashem, we're not going to get involved in idols, because they knew what the idols were, and compared to Shem, there's nothing. But now the Torah says, but what if comes some idols, Asher lo yedata, which you did not know? Meaning to say that when we made the promise, we never knew about such kinds of idols. And such kind of idols, whoa, that offers something brand new that could be an interesting experience. And therefore, the Torah is saying, and you might think, well, now I can back out of the deal because had I known about such an idol, whoa, then you know what? I think it's even better than God. So therefore, three times the Torah says, even if a false prophet tells you something about a new idol or a person who's trying to take you away from Yiddishkeit or a city who goes away, and it's specifically the Asher Lo Yedatem, the ones that you never knew before, and perhaps now you're going to want them. And the Chassam Sofer makes a reference to the end of Sefer Dvarim, where Hashem tells us that in the future the Jews may stumble and sacrifice to idols that they had never known before. And the commentaries explain idols that don't even serve any utility for them, and yet they will serve them. That is a great criticism on the Jewish people. And therefore, what we see from the Hassam Sulfur is that there is, as much as we can be loyal to Hashem, and we can understand that Yiddishkeit is so much more superior to other negative, uh, other forms of worship, because, you know, we've heard about those forms, and they're not that exciting. But the Hassam Sulfur understands that human nature is that something new and hasn't been experienced and it's being offered to you, presents a certain type of excitement that one would like to take a look into and um, uh, experiment with. 
to see if maybe it's something a little bit more interesting because I'm not used to these types of experiences. You can get used to being Hashem with Hashem. You can be used to being a Yid and, you know, it could tend to get a little boring after a while. Now something brand new and exciting comes into life. So that's when there's a great Yetzirah to get involved in this. And we know that although nobody has a Yetzirah to worship trees and idols, but we now know through history that even after the Yetzirah for Avodah was destroyed thousands of years ago, there is this new form of idol worship which ends with the suffix ism, I-S-M. And there's been many isms that have threatened our faith over the centuries, starting with Hellenism, that's the Hanukkah story, that swept away most Jews from observing the Torah. And more recently, there have been other isms such as socialism, communism, objectivism, feminism, egalitarianism. Now, all these isms, what do they have all in common? What they have in common is a singular overarching theory that to the believers of that ism will solve all the problems that they wish to solve. And unfortunately, Jews have a penchant to look at these types of isms because we're always trying to solve problems. And throughout history, what there have been Jewish adherents to these isms, and we look at them as the ikar, the essence, and the Torah is relegated to something of tafel, of a secondary nature. And the isms were so intellectually and psychologically dominant that they unfortunately became the standard by which Torah is to be judged. And here's the basic rule of Jewish history. Whenever the isms become the benchmark by which everything else is measured, including Torah, Jews who fall into that ism get lost to the Torah by the thousands and by the ten thousands. And uh, it's as if those believers conclude that, uh, that if the Torah a mitzvah, a minig, or a Jewish value, or a Jewish idea does not accord with one of the isms, then they must be rejected. For Hashem surely did not intend that, even if there is a God. And now you understand that these isms really become objects of worship, veneration, and adoration even more than the Torah. Because whatever becomes the measure of all things, and it's not Torah, well, that's a ticket to a slow train to one's spiritual doom. As the definition in the dictionary of ism means a distinctive doctrine, a cause or a theory. Or second explanation, an oppressive and especially discriminatory attitude or belief. And as a woman by the name of Jocelyn Elder said, we all have to come to grips with our isms. Now, of course, none of the isms are completely negative. Otherwise, it wouldn't attract thinking Jews. In case, in fact, the opposite is true. Each ism has a certain very fine feature. For example, about Hellenism, where the Gemara says that the, the, that, that the descendants of Yephes, which are Greece, can dwell in the tents of shame. In other words, there's a certain degree of beauty 
that the Greeks had that could be compatible with Yiddishkeit. And there's a place for it. And for a time, our rabbis even permitted a Torah to be written in Greek. Okay, but the problem is, if that becomes not a supplementary to Torah and has to fit into the Torah view, but if that becomes a primary view and Torah has to fit into that, that's when we have problems. There could be certain kernels of good ideas in, in socialism where there's a certain control over the means of production, right? Um, you know, they, uh, an egalitarian society what would say from each according to their ability and according to their needs. It's a great theory, but it's not Torah, so it has to be flawed. And that's what the common denominator of all these isms is it's an ideology that snatched historically pious Jews away from their faith, starting with Hellenism all the way to communism. Even Zionism, you know, which has a certain degree of truth as well, a love of Eretz Yisrael. But if it becomes the only point of a person's uh, faith, that they only believe in a secular state and Torah is not the, the dictates how we display that Zionism, then Zionism could be something that could be very anti-Torah as the secular Zionists have showed us what that is. And therefore, with everything else, feminism, equality and all these things where if you say if if you believe in 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 egalitarianism that men or women are exactly the same that goes against the torah men and women are not the same men and women they're both in the image of hashem no question about it but the torah says they have different roles in life to play based on their strengths but if you believe in a feminism or an egalitarianism that says no, we have to be exactly the same. That runs contrary to Torah. And therefore, um, this is really what the Torah is telling us. To be careful about gods that you did not know. We never heard about feminism 200 years ago. We never heard about all these different isms till recently. And whenever any ism comes forward and says, worship me, and the Torah must obey me, and, and it, it, it induces someone into thinking that if the Torah cannot be harmonized with the ism, then the Torah is flawed, then you know you're on the wrong track. And you have to, uh, you know, have to have an inner strength and you could say, you know, I may be a Hellenist, I may be a socialist, I may be a Zionist, I may be a feminist, but Atkan, but only up to here. I can go no further without abandoning what is most precious to us, which is Torah and mitzvot. And therefore, we have to be awfully careful about these new idols that at the end of the day don't really help us if we're going to pick that over Torah. I think this is something that, you know, there are many, it's always contemporary isms that we have to deal with. I haven't figured out an ism that can be attached to technology. I don't have a, word, a verb technologyism or something like that. We have to realize that we take these things to a certain point. We don't have to reject all these notions. 
but certain aspects which may be beneficial have to be subjugated to what the Torah wants from us. So what does this have to do with Elul? And what is this message? Well, the message of Elul, we know that the uh, constellation, the Jewish sign for Elul is a basul, is a virgin. The acronym of Elul is Anila Dodi Vidodi Li, where we're really, the focus this month, starting on Sunday, is to work on our relationship with Hashem. Of course, tshuva is part of the whole season, but before we can start with tshuva, we have to analyze what is our relationship with Hashem. And if the relationship of Hashem is good, then the tshuva process becomes much easier. It's something you want to do. If the relationship is strained, then we're forcing and straining tshuva. Tshuva is meant to be a beautiful process. Tshuva is meant to be a natural process. A natural process between two lovers. And what would two lovers not do one for each other? So what is it we should be focusing on? So I would suggest that just like we know in any relationship, there are certain rules in let's say the marriage relationship, the friend relationship that we apply that to our relationship with Hashem just to make it easier for us to understand how this works. So let me share with you something we talked about a couple of years ago. We did a marriage class from someone who is at the forefront, a Dr. John Gottman, who has a data-driven and evidence-based approach to marital harmony. And we could use some of these ideas as a muscle for our uh, are being able to focus on our relationship with Hashem. He has his famous book, Gottman, is The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. So let's look at three principles and maybe think about these three principles regarding our own personal marriage or relationships we have with other people. But more specifically for this month, our relationship with Hashem. And therefore, we'll just share three quick ones. Number one, Gottman writes, he says, it's critical that we are knowledgeable regarding matters that our spouse cares deeply about. You got to know what, what your spouse cares about. And he has a whole list that you could have a husband wife could have a discussion, true or false questions regarding a, a spouse. If you're able to answer that question and that will discuss how how is how knowledgeable you are about what matters to your spouse. And here's just a couple examples. True or false, I can name my partner's best friend. Do you know who your, 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 your partner's best friend is? So let's think about that. Can we name Hashem's best friend? Who would that be? Well, maybe spiritual giants, like the patriarchs, the matriarchs. Moshe Rabbeinu, to really answer, who are the people that Hashem really, really cares deeply about? Or another question, true or false. I can tell you what stresses my partner is currently facing. Do you know what's bothering your partner right now, your friend, your spouse? So what do you think is bothering Hashem right now? Maybe thoughts of disunity amongst the Jewish people. Maybe anti-Semitism. 
maybe people not behaving properly in shul. What are the things that really bug Hashem? Or another question is, I can tell you some of my partner's life dreams. That shows you have a much stronger relationship with a spouse or a friend. And what are Hashem's life dreams? If not, to perfect the world as God's kingdom. Ask yourself these questions. Go over and review them. This is a real easy but meaningful avoda for Elo. And just as we need to understand what and how our spouse thinks and feels, so too, as it were, we need to understand what and how Hashem thinks and feels. And the more we can think about and internalize what matters to Hashem, so to speak, the deeper our relation with Hashem can go, and that will bring us to a greater love to Hashem. And once we feel closer, then some of our behaviors that may not be suitable, we'll understand on our own. We don't want to do them. A second area Gottman writes about, he says, it's important to evaluate how much fondness we feel towards our partner. And here's a couple true or false questions regarding fondness. Answer this question. When we are apart, I often think fondly of my partner. True or false? So how about we adjust that? Do I think about Hashem fondly or otherwise when involved in my daily routines? Or another question. I will often find some way to tell my partner I love you. So applying to our relationship with Hashem, do we say birchas hamaz and do we bench with feeling and emotion? Do we say the prayer of modim with feeling and emotion? If the answer is no, you got to ask yourself why and what can I do to change that? Or how about we rarely go to sleep without some show of love, of affection. So we could apply that, do we daven mariv and recite the kriyashmalamita with meaning and emotion? Because our mitzvahs are meant to be expressions of love between us and Hashem, but how often do we perform those mitzvahs without our hearts or with our minds? How often are we cognizant of Hashem? Obviously, there's no simple solution to this old dilemma, but we can all improve in this area. And one last one. Gottman says that one of the foundations to a happy marriage is that spouses share each other's values. So let's try a few true or false questions about shared values. He says, can you say true or false? We see eye to eye about what home means. So how will we apply this to our relationship with Hashem? Are we cognizant about what brings the Shechina, so to speak, into our homes? And what, so to speak, takes the Shechina away from our homes? Hashem wants homes filled with humility, Torah, and Chesed. And additionally, when we speak Losh and Hara, we push Hashem away, so to speak. Another true or false, we have similar values about autonomy and independence. So we could say to apply that to Hashem, do we really strive to fulfill the Mishnah that everything we do should be L'Shem Shemayim? Or do we consciously or subconsciously let our own agendas direct us? And finally, what would you say? We have similar values about the meaning of having possessions or of owning things. 
possessions are gifts from Hashem to be used to serve Hashem. And we cannot take possessions with us when we leave this world. So these are a few things to think about in El. This is not heavy-handed, scary things about tshuva and punishment and all these things. It's how do we how do we measure our relationship with Hashem and do we want to improve that relationship with Hashem in terms of shared values, feelings of fondness, and really just knowing more about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because Hashem's Torah contains the perfect and ideal set of values. And the more we internalize these values, the more profound our relationship with Hashem can become. And you got to know one rule. There's no such thing as too much shalom bias. You can't overdo shalom bias in a regular marriage. Cannot overdo shalom bias in a relationship with a Kaddish Baruch Hu. You know, they tell the story of the uh, parents who are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and the family decides to make a fancy meal in a restaurant and everything. And they go to the to the Zaidi and they say, what what uh, kind of chicken uh, can we uh, go to the booby? What kind of piece of chicken do you want? The white meat or the dark meat? And she says, I'll take the white meat. And they said, white meat? You always take the dark meat. Why are you taking the white meat this time? You always take the dark meat. He says, really the truth is, I like the white meat better. But I know that your father likes the dark meat. So I tell him, uh, I, I, I know he likes the white meat. So I say, I'll take the dark meat and he'll get the white meat. Because I know that's the one he wants, so I'll take the opposite. And then when they asked the, the grandfather what meat he wanted, he said, he said, he'll take the dark meat. And she says, what? Why are you taking the dark meat? Because I always thought your mother likes the white meat. So therefore, I took the dark meat. <laughs> so everyone stands with a pause. Whoa, what's, what's going on? For 50 years, you always took the dark meat because you thought your spouse liked the white meat. And they always took the white meat because they thought you liked the dark meat. So one of the children said, I guess you both lost on this over 50 years. To which the parents answered, no, we both won over the last 50 years. And that's the message of El. Anila Dodi Vidodi Lee. Think about the things that you know that Hashem really would love. And what you're willing to give up for Hashem's love that we have for him. And just like Anila Dodi, the way we behave to Hashem, Dodi Li, Hashem is to us. And then Hashem will look at the things that we love. We want to have a year of health. We want to have a year of Nachas from the Kinder and Nitkain Tsar. We want to have a, a, a year of Parnasa Toiva. We want to have a year of Shalom. These are all things that we want. And Hashem is very cognizant of what we want. And in another month, we're going to be asking Hashem for these things. And Hashem says, oh, it would be my greatest pleasure. But, but do you know what I want? Do you know what my hopes and my desires are for the coming year? How much I would like Mashiach to get a lot closer? How I would like to have more shalom amongst the Jewish people? How I would like to see people coming and talking to me in shul more often? I, I would love to see that my children are not fighting with each other 
And if we could share these common values and see what is it that Hashem really wants and focus on what Hashem really wants, this will be the great love that we could show to Hashem. And then Hashem is more than happy to reciprocate with beautiful love in that way. And therefore, that's why it's so important to, and what makes it difficult for us to know what Hashem really wants is we get too focused on the isms. We get so focused on the idols that we did not know before and we give them so much attention. But the truth of the matter is we don't have to look at anything new because HaKadosh Baruch Hu, being an infinite being has, is always new, always refreshing, always deeper ways of understanding Hashem's beautiful Torah and always understanding ways and understanding ourselves in a more beautiful way and our friends and our neighbors. So as we kick off the month of El and give us all a bracha to ask ourselves these true or false questions to try to bring ourselves closer to HaKadosh Baruch Hu because Hashem is waiting so much to come closer to us and Amir Hashem a month from now all the tefillahs for Parnassah and health and nachas will be answered from a loving God for people who are truly appreciative of this loving relationship. Amen. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos.